So uh, I've been playing with Xamarin. Really? Hmm. Wow. Today. Did just just there. Just came from fingers from on the keyboard. It up. Xamarin in, yeah. And it's interesting. Um, what does it look like? What are the apps when you click build? What do they look like? Do they the, look normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The app, so it uses storyboards. Huh. It It is um, when you run it, it runs it in the iPad, iPhone simulator that comes with the iOS SDK. And it is uh, an iOS app running using storyboards. Wow. Um, so the only thing that looks different is the developer environment. Yeah. Uh, but from the perspective of someone using an app that you build with it, um, at least the way I was using it, was just it's an iOS app. It's just got a different So do you have set. to do that on Windows in Visual Studio? But they've got a Mac app. So Amazing. go to Xamarin's oh, right. website and there's like a install this. And I was I thought surely I'm going to click this button and it's going to tell me what Windows software I need to install. <laughs> I was like, no, it's got a Mac like SDK, IDE. Uh, it installs a version of the Mono framework, which is like the open source yeah. implementation of the .NET yep. libraries. It installs a version of the Android SDK and an IDE that lets you, yeah, write the code and it links against the Android version SDK installed and it links against whatever iOS SDK you've got installed. Um, and the IDE provides like a source code editor, but also a storyboard editor. Um, a visual drag and drop storyboard editor, although it crashed when I tried to open the storyboard file, so I didn't actually use that bit of it. Maybe that's um, because we're using beta. Well, so that's the other thing that really impressed me about it. Um, one of the questions I had previously, and I, I mentioned on the last episode, was um, my cynicism that perhaps tools like this don't keep pace with the platforms that they're targeting. Um, it does. They've got support for iOS 7 already. Oh, wow. Um, so if you've got the latest developer preview of Xcode 5 installed, um, you can configure Xamarin to use that version of the SDK, and then it downloads an update to their IDE, um, and then you can build iOS 7 apps with it. Hmm. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So it looks. It actually looks really cool. It looks, it looks like uh, you can create basically what end up running as native iOS apps uh, using the C-sharp programming language um, by using Xamarin. So I think it's clearly, it really is a viable platform for people that have like a lot invested in C-sharp. Um, and so that's, yeah, ha- having said all of those positive things about it, um, a couple of negative things that fr- were frustrating me today just in the short time I was using it. Um isn't a straight translation of the iOS framework like classes and methods in the sense that methods have different names, right? So I was doing a collection view uh, controller and implementing the collection view data source and delegate methods. Um, and I was trying to do, you know, like I, I've learned the framework. I know what those methods should be called. Self or row index path. Exactly. That sort of thing. Number of sections. and mm. um, It's not that. They've renamed it to be... Maybe something that makes more sense. More C sharpy. Yeah, so it's like get number yeah. of sections. That does sound um, like C sharp. And so I had to just constantly have the documentation open. Where if I was doing native code, I'd just write it. Um, with this, I had to like have the documentation open and go in my mind. Okay, what is the method I'm looking to do? Look it up in the documentation to see what it'd be renamed to, and then implement it. Um, so that was kind of painful, and. 
the other thing that, that was painful was trying to integrate with third-party libraries. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. So can you? You can. It supports a couple of ways of doing it, depending on whether it's a C library or an Objective-C library. Um, the C library seems the most straightforward. You just drop the static library into your project and set a um, compile sort of linker flag thing, um, and then you can just call stuff on it. Um, and you'd call stuff using like a, um, I think it's called p-invoke or something. It's a dot C-sharp language feature for invoking a n- native yep. um, function call. The Objective-C seems to be more work. Like um, there's a, another separate tool that you have to download and use to generate some C-sharp sort of descriptors of the Objective-C code. Um, but the specific library I was seeking to integrate was actually a C library that had an Objective-C wrapper. And I couldn't figure out from just reading through the Xamarin documentation about whether it supports that, whether I could actually do use both techniques for the one library. Um, so there's also like kind of like CocoaPods, there's this list of pre-integrated third-party libraries that other people have used with Xamarin in the past and have all like created these sort of bindings for. Um, so that looked good, but it's, you know, maybe only a dozen or so and not the ones that I'd be interested in using. Um, for example, no Nimbus. They did have 320. Um, yeah, so that kind of all counts against it for me in the sense that I feel like the messing around that you need to do to use, to make use of the pool of third party code out there is more hassle, um, in this platform. And you still need, like, to do the UI. I ended up using Xcode Storyboard Editor. Which works fine. You can do your storyboard in Xcode and then write your code in C Sharp in Xamarin. Um, and same with core data modeling. I think you have to do the modeling core data model file using Xcode's editor. Um, so it kind of feels like you still have to have a fair big knowledge of the, the framework and SDK. You still have to be familiar enough with the native tools to do those bits. Um, and if you want to integrate with any third party libraries, there's a fair bit of messing around. So it kind of feels like to me, if you've, if you've, gone to all the effort of solving all of those problems and you've had to learn basically a new framework anyway because UIKit, you know, you're not going to have existing knowledge of UIKit, then the only thing that you've gained is the ability to stick with a language that you're familiar with. And to me, that feels like the easiest part of learning iOS development is Objective-C. And really, it's only like syntax stuff, really, yeah. as opposed to like, and that's... Objective-C is pretty strange at first, especially for a C-sharp developer. Look, it's a strange syntax, but learning the syntax of a new language, to me, is much less work than learning a new tool set and a new framework. That's true. And I would almost say that learning something, like learning a language that is uh, significantly different to to one one that you already know. So, as an example, going from, say, something like PHP to to Objective-C really any language to Objective-C, um, is probably, e- I would think it would be easier because you're not likely to get it mixed up as much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, ma- it makes the differences more distinct. Yeah. But it's not trying to say these two are similar. Yeah. High contrast. So, it, it feels like when you first look at it, you kind of get that feeling of, you know, looking at, you know, this giant wall that you've got to scale, but then you soon realise that you were looking at it in one of those carnival mirrors that, you know, makes everything look about a billion times bigger than it actually is. That's that's how I feel about it anyway. 
about learning, like learning a new language. That's true. Yeah. Especially going from something like, you know, Java or PHP to, uh, to, to Objective-C because it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing that interests me is if, okay, backtracking. The reason I'm looking at Xamarin is because I'm working with a client at the moment where they're seeking my advice about the best approach to developing some apps and they've got some .NET developers. And so one possibility is that um, those .NET developers could be involved in developing some mobile apps and might want to use their existing skills and knowledge. Um, so I thought I should investigate it and talk to those developers to find out, you know, if they're going to work on mobile apps, are they interested in learning Objective-C and um, or do they really want to stick with .NET and trying to understand a little bit about it. I c- I'm looking forward to having those conversations because I can imagine that potentially one of the benefits of Xamarin that I'm not seeing as someone that hasn't done a lot of .NET recently is that you could use your existing, not just C-sharp language knowledge, but you could use your existing C-sharp libraries. So, for example, where I'm looking to integrate with a third-party kind of iOS library, uh, they might be approaching a problem where, you know, you've got to download an XML file and parse it and have a whole heap of existing code for asynchronously downloading data off the net and parsing XML that if, you know, so rather than having to learn AF networking and NSXML parser, uh, they could use their existing knowledge of whatever the .NET sort of equivalents are. Um, yeah, so that could be where the real benefit is. And I kind of wonder when you come, like I was looking at doing a collection view-based, core, core data-based collection view app with it um and i'm wondering well you know like if you're coming from a .NET background maybe you wouldn't use core data maybe you'd default to using some of the .NET system dot data kind of frameworks for persisting data and, and i kind of wonder like what would an app built by a .NET developer using xamarin end up feeling like <laughs> would it where at what point would it feel like an ios app you know, can collection view work just as well with a non-core data database sitting behind it? Probably, I think. I think I think it would. Um, like there is, I think there is stuff in collection view and table, like in table views and stuff like that that um, is, that is designed to work with core data. Well, interestingly, there's NS fetched results controller, yeah. which is only for table views, not for oh really collection views. See, I've only huh. I've only ever really I've only just started actually playing with collection views. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've never so, had a need for it before. So, table views has have this kind of special weird thing that is kind of bridges the user interface um, persistence divide, and it needs to know about both the kind of table view. Does it need to know about table views? I think like the so. actual view. I don't know if it needs to know about the actual view itself, but I think it needs to know about how table view controllers expect to get things. But it certainly needs to know about um, the core data side of things. Um, it's called an NS fetched results controller. And yeah. the idea is that you can use it to prov- have a core data be the data source for a table view with only like three or four lines of code. And yeah. it allows you to do like automatic updates when data changes and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've used it before. I've used it. In fact, I use it in, um, in both multiplex and progressions. So interestingly, when you read the documentation for NS fetched results controller, it expl- explicitly says it's designed only for use with table views. Oh, see, um, I didn't actually hadn't like, actually noticed. I that. don't even think it's intended that you'd use it in your own views separate from outside of a table. That's view. so strange. And it's not, you know, collection views don't expect to get their data from a 
because the collection cool. view data source and delegate is almost identical. It is almost identical. You I can thought go it was really odd. New table view controller to get the nice template and yeah. then just change the, where it says table view to collection view and it actually works. I wonder if anybody's um, written like a, a subclass of fetched results controller. They have, yeah. There yeah. is a fetched results controller subclass that's designed to be a a more generic one. Yeah. But I kind of was reluctant to use that given that Apple's documentation for it was explicit that it wasn't intended to be used in that manner. Um, I just wonder if it's out of date, maybe. Like, that they, after introducing Collection View, that no one's bothered to get around to rewriting. It's possible that the documentation isn't completely, um, isn't completely correct. But uh, in any event, so I think providing, getting your data, providing the data for a Collection View from something other than Core Data, I think would work fine because basically... The data source protocol is so simple. You need to give it the number of sections, the number of items in a section, and the, an item given a particular index. So you mentioned that you have to use a core data editor for your model stuff. Can yes. that still be used on Android? Or is that just you would, if you're right. only using Xamarin for iOS, you can do that? Exactly. Yeah. So okay. I was basically looking at Xamarin as a way of building iOS apps, but it also has like a separate project template where they say building a cross-platform app. And then ah. I, and there's a whole heap of stuff on their website about best practices for building cross platform. Um, in which case I imagine it's not going to use core data. It would use probably a .NET like, based. Yeah. It's just like straight to light. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. There's a system dot data module namespace in .NET that includes code for interacting with, um, SQLite databases. Uh, so yeah, you probably use something like that and it would work on both. I guess, hmm. um, which also kind of interests me. So I'm going to spend some more time looking at it. It certainly seems, yeah, it certainly seems interesting. Before I got my grubby little hands on it, the Multiplex app, uh, the original version of it, um, it was it was coded in MonoTouch slash Xamarin. It was MonoTouch at the time that they developed it. Um, part of the reason that we moved it across, other than the fact that I don't know .NET, and wasn't really keen on learning a whole other language. Windows Phone Man, it's taken off. I'm calling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but I mean, the the whole point to me taking up Multiplex, right, was um, be- was because I wanted to I wanted to have the opportunity to play with some of the new stuff that because I have had to uh, support older versions of iOS. I wanted to play with some of the newer stuff that I couldn't really use without doing a lot of work to make that happen. And so I wanted to use uh, so I wanted to use uh, objective C and I wanted to use it with uh, I think we we started with 6 as, as the base and we'll probably be moving it to 7 uh, in the short in the very short term. Uh so I didn't want to u- I didn't want to use Xamarin um but also the other problem that we had with it was that well that they had with it was that um, updating to new I- new iOS versions. If you didn't update the app with new builds, it would break sometimes. All oh, right. Um, there were a, there, there was at least a major version, like not a major version, but a you know a actual proper public release version of iOS that completely broke the app and wouldn't actually allow it to load. Wow. And previously, yeah. you know, and it previously worked so. Look, I, I mean, I think there are heaps of reasons not to use something like it, like Xamarin. Um, you touched on a couple there. Like the idea of uh, the ease of which you can get people to pick something up and work on it. 
Um, and that's kind of a reason, both a reason to use it and a reason not to use it. Like if you have an organization and you've got a whole heap of developers and they know C Sharp and .NET inside out and you don't have any other developers that, that you know, have Objective-C knowledge, then obviously your developers are going to be more productive uh, use, being able to continue to use that language frameworks. However, in terms of mobile apps, if you're commissioning an app or something um, and getting someone to build it for you and then you want to be able to have the flexibility in the future to get someone else to work on it or to do, you know, build it yourself, then chances are you're going to be more likely to find someone familiar with the native iOS tool chain than you are going to feel, find someone develop familiar with Xamarin. Like, right. Absolutely. It feels kind of like, you know, that, and, and, and the same with these sort of third party libraries, that there's only a small subset of the libraries out there that people have kind of um, packaged for use with Xamarin. Uh, whereas there's heaps more native libraries. So it kind of feels like, um, you're, I heard similar, uh, pe- other developers I know who have looked at Ruby motion, um, because they came from a background of being really familiar with Ruby have said a similar thing that, um, yeah, it was great to be able to continue to use Ruby. Uh, but in the end, the kind of ecosystem around that tool was so much smaller than, yeah. and so every time you ran into an issue, it was like, you know, the subset, the resources you could go to to say, oh, why isn't this working? Wasn't the, the whole large mobile developer community. It was the small subset of mobile developers who are also using Ruby Motion as their tool chain. And so it kind of feels like you're kind of making the landscape a little bit more niche by picking one of these. Um, and so long as that works all right for you, I think it would be okay, but. And yeah, and there are situations where that would work, right? Because in a in a large company, that might uh, it might cause problems in kind of the long term, whereas it makes it a lot easier to get started. Um, but if you're a, if you're a developer that just wants to create your own, you know, the, an app, and you in your spare time, and you just so happen to know Ruby, and you want to use Ruby Motion to create the app, just so that you can really get a quick head start on it, that. That makes a whole lot of sense because, uh, I mean, the the result the the likelihood of you wanting to pass that off at some stage is is pretty slim. Yeah, but even then, like if you run into an issue like um, I don't know what was I running into today with Xamarin, um, oh, I don't know one of my say my collection view data source wasn't implemented properly and it was crashing when it tried to get an item it wasn't what was happening. But let's imagine that was you might know. Is it that I'm misunderstanding the concept of how a collection views data source is meant to work? Or is it that I've done something wrong in my C sharp syntax or my Ruby syntax? Right. And if you run into that, like you don't, you know, you try and post a question to a developer forum or a mailing list, they say, let's see your code and you show them the Ruby and they're like, Oh, I don't know what that is. You know, this is how I do it in Objective C. Um, so it kind of, I think it kind of feels like if specifically if you're learning, like if you're doing it because you're wanting to learn how to do a mobile app. Um, the resources you can draw upon in terms of people's knowledge that can contribute to that learning are going to be smaller if you pick an environment that's not the main one that people are using. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but I think it, I think it's kind of cool that there are choices. Like I was pretty blown away with how nice Xamarin was to use, and you know, it doesn't just look like a kind of um, hobbyist's tool. It looks like they've put some serious effort into it. It's like a nice slick IDE. Um, so it's actually their IDE. It's not some repackaged. 
No, I think that it's so. My understanding is that Mono was the open source implementation of .NET from yeah, way back when, uh, and it's op- open source. But then Xamarin is kind of a business that's been built about providing a, a tool chain and services on top of it. Um, and so Xam- the idea is kind of their their thing, and it's probably built using Mono. <laughs> um, that's pretty but, impressive. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a, it's not just Eclipse then. Wow. No, it's not just Eclipse. It looks it looks more like Xcode than it does Eclipse. Because so many so many IDEs, like so many alternative IDEs are basically just like a, a repackaged mm. version of of Eclipse. Yeah. And therefore slow and clunky <laughs> and right. so, so many buttons and really freaking ugly. Yeah, no, this kind of felt a little bit um you can tell it's not a native Cocoa app, I guess. Like, it kind of feels a little bit otherworldy, yeah. but not as clunky as a, a Java app. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, and it's free to trial. So, um, yeah, I encourage people to check it out if you're interested because it certainly has uh, piqued my interest. Thought you got Logic Pro. I do. Oh, okay. But this is easier to record in for the time being. I don't have my... Um, I don't have my multi-channel thing yet. Um, I had to send it back because it was it was broke. But yeah, I w- all I would get from like I would plug in mics and stuff, and I'd re- try recording, and I'd get a zzzz, oh, lovely zzzz noise. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> and so I sent it back. So I'm kind of expecting them to send me a new one at some stage in the hopefully not too distant future, because I'm looking forward to being able to separately adjust our. <laughs> levels, levels, turn it down. Yeah, just turn me down most. Of the time. I'm just going to remo- I'm just going to not put your audio in, so I can just remove the audio. <laughs> That'll be great. Taken care of. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Well, at least that way you know that I won't include any of your uh, embarrassing stories. Yeah, exactly. I got to stop. I just got to stop trying to tell embarrassing stories. They're just they're, they're so they're so interesting. That's why I leave them in because they're interesting. I want to know if you wanted to be an actor or you just did this while you were at uni. <laughs> this is follow-up for last week. Right. Um, I I wanted to be an actor at one point, yeah. Hmm. In uh, in high school, I enjoyed drama and uh, I thought it would be interesting pursuit. Um, but I never seriously pursued it because um, I reckon you have to be incredibly passionate about something like that. Like it's such a hard industry profession to crack into, to ever make any living from, that I kind of felt like unless it so consumed my every waking moment that I couldn't possibly ever consider doing anything but acting, then it was probably not worth it. Like, you know, that yeah. I, I would rather. Yeah. No, I understand that. I, I've done I've done some acting as well. But wow. I, I probably did a bit more than you because you said that you did like one Oh, one. Well, at high in high school, I was in like musicals and stuff, right. school plays. And so, things, but that all was of, most of my experience has been outside of school. Right. Um, so, can I see you in, in a film yeah, or TV show? We, Is um, there anywhere we can watch you? Do you like walk through the background or something? I'm trying to think of something that I was in. Do you have an IMDb profile? <laughs> no, I'm not that cool. I've 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 mostly done I've done a little bit of theatre here in in Canberra. All right. Um, and I was involved in a theatre company for a little while. We, yeah. I did, I did a lot of audiovisual stuff for them because that's that's where I did, like that's what I did at school. Like I, yeah, and that's kind of what school. I got into when drama at school as well. I really enjoyed the kind of lighting and 
set design. And yeah, and I've I've I write and stuff and I've 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 directed before as well. Um, but yeah, I've done I've done one or two plays. In fact, yeah. Mel, my wife, I met doing a play based on Romeo and Juliet. Uh, were, were you Romeo? You, was she Everybody Juliet? asks this question. Yes, she was Juliet, and no, I was not oh. Romeo. Oh no! Well, who Wait you? for it. One of my best mates it was was Romeo. All right, and I was Paris. Yeah, I don't remember. If, I don't if you don't, if for is. those of you who don't know the story of Romeo and Juliet, I know Romeo dies. So that's Paris, good for you. Paris is the poor Juliet dies technically yeah. as well. Um, no, in this in her. this version, she didn't die. Don't um, they both die? Isn't that the whole point? Yes. Spoilers, man. Um, <laughs> so I was Paris, and Paris is uh, Paris is the person that uh, Capulet has lined up to marry Juliet. Oh right, yep, yeah, yep. And then obviously she goes off with Romeo and eventually with dies. her true love. In in this version of the play, they don't die. They actually their plan succeeds, and it shows the second act of the play was uh, was. Post the post death. Oh right, and showing how that kind of turned out for them, which was not good. There you go. Romeo was drunk, <laughs> so she ended up wishing that she'd married that Paris guy in the first place, and she did. There you go. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Have you uh, got a stage film? No, I really don't. <laughs> I don't think I've acted since primary school, and we were forced to do it. There you go. We did Greece. I was the dude with the hair. I don't even know his name. Come on, <laughs> yeah. guy. Don't they all have hair? Yeah, just, just just there was one guy who- You yeah, were like John, you were John Travolta. No, no, no. He was too major for me. Okay. I was the, the part of his group and the guy that's obsessed with his hair. There are a million oh, yeah. Grease fans right now because we have a million listeners. There are a million Grease fans shouting at me <laughs> through their radios. Apparently, I think, I think we have- we'd, we'd need like 50 million yeah, listeners but, yeah. to have a million <laughs> Grease fans. Maybe more. <laughs> yeah, because if, if, if they're all- They must be all be Grease fans. We are so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's okay. They people apparently like this. Really? Yeah. Really? There you go. That's good. Good because we could talk about Greece. Any other musicals? <laughs> we did Hair. Yeah. I played Wolf. Wow. That doesn't. You go neither of you. So. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Hair. But yeah. He gets to sing the title. Song. Can you oh, demonstrate right. for us? No. Oh. <laughs> There's a reason I didn't pursue any of this, and now, now I've make my living coding. Well, it's much easier to make a living as a non-famous developer, right? I think you have to be a famous actor to actually make money. You don't have to be famous as a developer to make money as a exactly. developer. And and therein is the basis of my decision. I think that that and the fact that um, so I ended up like. I, after school, I applied for a Bachelor of Film and Television because I was still interested, and I didn't get in. I was what? My, my I can't imagine that low. would be hard to like, get into. No, it was like only fifteen places or something. Uh, you needed like uh, a okay. TR of ninety, and I had I had a South Australian ninety, which when converted to a Victorian one was like Wait, only like eighty eight point five. That's oh. very high mark, and that's still not good enough to get into an acting degree. It was not good enough to get into the Bachelor of Film and Television, so I took a year off thinking that I would do another year 12 topic and try and get my grade up a little bit more. Wow, that's serious. To get into the acting. And during that year, I uh, got a job as a graphic artist and spent most of my time sitting in front of the computer writing code to try and automate the really boring things I had to do. And at the end of the year, I'm thinking, you know what I enjoyed most this year? Writing code. I think I'm going to go and study that instead. Oh. Well, so. this is, okay, I can bring us back on track. Good. This 
is a topic about how we got into development in the first place. Yes, there you go. That's my story. Boom. What's yours? Okay, so I always programmed as a kid. I used to play on the computer and I did Visual Basic and stuff like that. But I don't think I ever wanted to be a, a developer. Um, I actually got into development because I was spending all my money on flying lessons trying to be a pilot. And I was working four jobs. I worked as uh, a function waiter. So when you see like your Maya fashion launch or something, I was the dude in the suit. I can, the I can so see that. Yep. I met a lot of celebrities. I've met all the supermodels. So I gave, attempted, attempted to give food to Miranda Kerr and Jennifer Hawkins. Their people waved me away. But, oh, right. but Megan Gale took my food and said it was good. So. Wow. Yeah, I'm famous. But yeah, so I did that and I worked at Dick Smith and I did math tutoring. And so all my time was taken up by working these small paying jobs. And so I thought, how can I make more money? So then I learned about this development thing so I could program. Oh, thank goodness. I thought this story was about to take a very strange turn. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Okay. I thought about it, but no. So I got into development and it ended up paying much more than flying ever would. And so here I am. And and you enjoyed it, right? Like that's yeah, I do enjoy it as well. Yeah. So I sort of he does it for the money. I, I sort of tricked myself for a while, going development's just my backup career because I'm going to be a pilot. Yeah, you know. And then the backup career quickly swamped by many multiples the money I was making from flying. Yeah. So do you here I am. do you still harbor the dream of being a pilot? No, they get paid. So I was a flying instructor. I did it two days a week, and I developed five days a week. So I'd work seven days a week. Uh, if I was a full-time flying instructor, I would have made $32,500 a year. See, this is it's got to be something that you do f- because you love it so much you could never contemplate anything else. Yeah, so people say, oh, that's just because it's starting at the bottom. You know, when you work your way up, you'll get paid more. So a Jetstar cadet gets paid thirty-three grand a year. Wow. A massive $500 pay rise. Nah, that's no good. <laughs> so it kind of actually puts me off flying a little bit. Like, I want the person in charge of that plane to be, like, well rewarded for their efforts and knowledge. You would think that, but airlines have realized they don't really have to pay pilots much because there's heaps of kids growing up who want to be pilots. Right. Flying is its own reward. Mm. I wonder what astronauts get. Heaps. Yeah. I hope. Well, you'd think that they would because of the of the potential for catastrophe. Well, actually, but most ma- of them but come But maybe the going in space is its own reward. Maybe you actually have to pay to be an astronaut. Well, you do if you want to fly on, like, the Virgin flights and stuff that are, you know, now going to, like, the outer atmosphere. for a little while. Yeah. All right. Jelly, how did you get started? I I got started when I was a kid. Like, I I started um, working with, because I did graphic design stuff, and I've always been a designer, illustrator type person. And so... I was making skins um, back when that was cool. What's um, a skin? So, a skin is basically, it's it's slang word, I guess, for an alternative uh, GUI. Oh, yeah. So, like, uh, so it's it called Kaleidoscope? Was that the Mac app for managing your <coughs> themes? I don't remember, but I was on Windows at this point. Did you oh. make a Winamp theme? I did make Winamp themes. Yes. I've also yes. made, I also made like Windows Media Player themes and stuff like that. Um and I got into that, and then I I got you know I, I I had I had there was a community that kind of built up around that, and one of them ran a website for these things and wanted to do a magazine, and I was like, yeah, I can do that. I can I can write. I like writing every now and then, and so I started doing that, and then, 
eventually it turned from having to write this, you know, from just from writing this to completely, you know, taking over the magazine and actually making the website for it. And uh, that's when I learned PHP and went from, you know, from that I've, you know, done PHP over the years, just in my spare time, built stuff, done bits and pieces. And then um, it was about five or six years ago that I, I got offered a job at Geoscience, uh, which is an Australian government department, for those of you who don't know, uh, developing, doing front-end development and uh, design for applications there. And uh, once I kind of got that, that was it, then it was pretty easy for me to get more work uh, outside of outside of there. And so eventually I left, and here I am freelancing my little toes off. <laughs> there you go. There you hmm. go. It's, it's, I, I do like a good origin story. You know, I like yours. The best. I should have. I should have started with with you know. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, 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 makes <laughs> that would have been too. a way better story. Damn it. <laughs> so what uh keeps you? What keeps you guys uh, doing the work that you're doing right now? Like J- Jake, you're in you're in freelance. Why? Why? Why do you stick with that? As opposed to. Short answer because I'm enjoying it, but I could give a longer answer in terms of stick to it compared to it, like taking a full time gig with someone. Or mm. I'd like to hear that. Yeah, like what? Why? Why do you stay? Fr- I mean, I know why I stay freelance, but why do you stay freelance? So at the moment, what I'm really enjoying is um, the variety of work in terms of being able to do work for different clients, each project. Like, I'm finding I'm learning so much. Like, any time like, throughout my career as a programmer, the times I've learned most are the times I've taken new jobs. So, when I've been working as a kind of full-time employee of someone, it's kind of like the first 12, 18 months on the job, I feel like I learn heaps. And then, you know, you keep learning, but it, it feels like it changes gears a bit. And then you Yeah, it becomes move- a bit more monotonous. Yeah, and then you move jobs. And um, even if you're using a similar technology stack in, this, in the new job, uh, you end up working with different people who take different approaches to problems, working in different environments where people have kind of different processes around the development or different database technologies or different whatever. Yeah, okay. Um, and so I'm kind of finding like the freelance client work I'm doing at the moment is kind of like um, an even greater exposure to new and interesting work all the time. So instead of having to wait a year or two before I'm exposed to something new, each project that I kind of take on, is an opportunity to do something a bit different. Um, and then I'm also enjoying the variety of roles that you have as a freelance client service kind of person. Is it instead of just writing code, I'm also kind of doing a bit of the, you know, um, building relationships with people, trying to help people, uh, identify opportunities where mobile apps could, it could help their business or could help them engage with people in interesting ways. Um, so kind of feels like a great way of, um, an alternative that I could imagine enjoying almost as much is being able to be a, someone who creates my own products and, you know, you can just dream up a new idea and implement it and see it through. However, if for that alternative to be viable, I'd have to figure out a way of making my products pay for the effort that went right. into them. And I feel like that's such a hard problem. Whereas in client, in the work that I'm doing at the moment, I kind of feel like I've got the best of both worlds because I st- 
the way I've been working with clients is I'm still actually pitching ideas to people and coming up with what I think would be a good app or having that sort of creative thinking about what's a good way of solving this problem. Um, but I don't have to solve the problem of and how can we make sure we pay for the development effort that goes in because often the clients... They figure that out for you. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's a cost that, that they're willing to pay in order to have the app have their problem solved. So it's not right. so much that they need to find end users who will give them cash for an app. It's that they've already identified that they want a problem solved and it's worth a certain amount to them to yeah. have that problem solved. Yep. So, yeah, it's probably that combination of being able to work on a number of projects at once so I can learn new things and being able to have that flexibility of different roles that I'm not just doing coding but doing a bit more of the other parts of the work. So... Yeah, I'm kind of really happy with that mix at the moment. Yeah. See, my 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 reasons for staying freelance is probably a bit more selfish than that. I mean, I, I really enjoy being able to have my freedom. Right. So, I didn't mention that as well. Yeah. I, I love the flexibility that, um, that this affords me. I actually only work sort of part of the working week and the rest of the time I look after my two-year-old. So, whether or not I... I don't know how many hours I'd end up doing over the course of a week, probably equivalent to full-time, really. Um, but the, it's up to me to manage when I do that work so long as I meet my clients' expectations as opposed to having to be in an office at a particular yeah. time. And I think it's more satisfying in that way because because you have, you're not setting, you're not achieving goals that are set by somebody else. You're achieving goals that you... You want to you want to achieve, and so when you get to the end of that, it's it's more it's more satisfactory because rather than having this kind of okay, well that's done. I now I move on to the next thing kind of uh, result. It's it's like you know I feel good that this is like I feel good because I have this to show for my, my time, mm. and this is something that I'm interested in, um, which is which is really good. I mean, I do a lot less. Um, I do a lot less kind of uh, new and interesting stuff with with my client work um because a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my client work is you know is, is cut and code taking a you know a psd or, or whatever and uh and turning it into a static website so that they can so that you know they can then take it away and get people to deal with it from there um but every now and then i get something interesting from clients like i'm worth something that i'm working on now that i don't know if i'm allowed to talk about so i'm not going to but, you know, I'll, every now and then I'll get something that's really interesting JavaScript work where I have to do this kind of thing that I haven't really ever kind of done before. And that's kind of really interesting to me. I've done things like, you know, made a touch scrolly thing that had videos and stuff in it, which, um, which was kind of a, a bit, a bit of fun. Um, but mostly I do it so that I have the time and the, fr- the, the flexibility to do other things with my time and work on the projects that I want to work on. Of which there are thousands, <laughs> all all uh, progressing at various different paces. Yeah. What about you, Beth? You? I'm the opposite to you guys. You I'm don't s- freelance at all. I'm a salaried employee. Yeah. But um, it's got to be a, be a pretty good employer that gives you the flexibility to do things like you know have time to podcast and. Yeah. So I have to- very flexible work hours as long as I get work done by the deadlines. Which I, I think, in terms of, um, you know, what people think of when they think of a kind of salaried employee is i guess what our guest last week would have talked about is corporate stooge a corporate stooge uh it doesn't sound like your job's a corporate stooge job no so mine's quite mine's actually very good most people consider my job as a dream job really so i get paid to 
need to learn how to make games. So a lot of people have to, you know, go to work and type up their boring stuff and code and go home and do the games at nighttime. In try and make, time, learn yeah. how to make games at nighttime, whereas I get paid to learn that kind of stuff. And yeah, I get see, to work on apps that I do actually get to see. You know, someone sent in a video the other day of a kid playing quick math. And that was that was so cool. Um, I really so I get to see people using the stuff that I make, and I don't have to worry really about, like you said, the products or anything like that. I still get my salary at the end of the day, so it's good. It's very, it's very good. I think one day I'll probably do the whole freelance thing, but I think that like having talked it up, I'm now you know coming like there are downsides as well, right? So one of the things that frustrates me a bit is um you know time frames and things like sometimes i wish i had longer to spend kind of being more meticulous with code I, and well, I definitely optimizing don't and like i don't know if this is just programming generally but usually i get to the point where i've implemented something and it's working and i look at it again and i think now i'd like to rewrite it all and do it so much more elegantly and nicely and i can think about ways as soon as you finish or even maybe i'm like Three quarters of the way through is finishing and I can start to go, okay, I could now refactor this all like this so it'd be much better. Um, and often time frames just don't, you know, if, a, if it's a client project and they're not going to see the benefits of that kind of externally through the visible user interface they're interacting with. It's hard, it's a hard sell to sort of say, okay, now I'm going to spend a little bit more time making it internally work better. Um, and I kind of feel like if, yeah, I imagine. A sort of job where you would have that time, sort of. No, well, I don't. So, I'm sure you do. In a company where the product is designed to be maintained and looked after for years, and but we're in the app business, so the model we follow basically is write an app, ship it, never touch it again. Hopefully, make another app. <laughs> and the deadlines are tight. Yeah. So yeah, I, no, absolutely. I mean, if we don't push this, these apps, don't make money unless they're out in the world. So yeah. when I'm working on it. You got to get it out there. You got to get it, it out there. It sounds to me, Jake, as if you need a public service job if you want to be able to do that, because I'm fairly certain that there are no uh, private sector companies that would would be able to afford the time for that, because most of them are working to to some sort of deadline. I think if you're in a big company that makes a big product, you know, maybe if you're in the Microsoft Office team, I am sure they refactor things all the time. Yeah. Although something I'm learning throughout my career is that my assumption that things are done better elsewhere doesn't actually hold up as often as I think that it will. Yeah. So you kind of imagine that these other people who you kind of put on a bit of a pedestal and say, I'm sure they like just do everything so well and, you know, and then you have a bit of a look and it's like, ah, oh, actually everyone's got the same sorts of constraints and the same sorts of time pressures and the same sorts of shortcuts and I'll go fix that later. Uh, my code that I've been working on recently, I've got a bunch of to-dos in there. Do you guys do that? To-dos yep. or fix me or hack? I you comment to do and I go hack and then I have various levels of hack from yeah. this is a hack to this is the worst hack of all time and makes me want to projectile vomit. <laughs> I've and got, I have I've to got, remove those ones. Right. So I've got <laughs> one of those in my um, current code base at the moment where I've, I've named something. So I've whinged to you guys about this, uh, not on air, but I'm going to whinge on air because I'm so <laughs> frustrated about it. Friggin' scroll views oh. should have a, uh, a page width slash size property so that when you set paging enabled, uh, that the distance they 
come, you know, the distance they scroll with each swipe should be configurable separately from the visible width of the view. So at the moment, if you've got a scroll view or a collection view, which is a scroll view subclass, and you say that its paging is true, when you swipe it, the default behavior is it'll come to rest uh, after it's scrolled an amount equal to the width of the view. Um, but so many times um, I've wanted to use that sort of page-based scrolling, but have a little bit of a preview of the next kind of page visible, you know, picking on screen. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really, really common. Very and common. This, yeah. So the way I've done it with scroll views, um, which I think is a pretty common technique, is you just set it to not clip the bounds of its subviews. So you set the width of the scroll view itself to be the kind of width of one page, and then you set it to not clip the bounds of its clip its subviews to its bounds, so that um, you can then see kind of through it or yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, the little edges of the the next and previous page, and then you've just got to do something to make sure that a touch that starts outside of the bounds of the scroll view will still trigger the scrolling action. So what did yeah. you do? So what I've done in the past is just override hit test. So yeah. hit test is the method that is called on every view when a touch is detected to determine whether that view should respond to the touch or not. And the default implementation of hit test is to respond true if the touch was within its bounds. But you can override that. And I know, Jelly, you're about to tell me there's a better way. There is a different way that Apple actually actually comes from Apple, which is to uh, to basically take the, the gesture recognizer and uh, apply it to a different view. So... Um, I'm trying to think of what the actual th- one is. I think it's like this: you 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 pull out the swipe gesture recognizer yep. from the scroll view, and then you basically put it on in another view. So you mm. add it to another view. Yeah. And uh, so, so the view, the the other view that you add it to should be the size of the area that you want to be able to have all the touch touches in. So yep. for me in the past, I've had an area like I've had a view that actually is. That contains the scroll view that that is the yeah. size of the area that I want to be able to to see all the content with, and uh, so I just take it from the scroll view, add it to that. It's like two lines of code. Yeah, and uh, and it works works straight up. Cool. So hmm. those techniques would work with a scroll view, but they won't work with a collection view, which is a scroll view subclass, because a collection view won't display cells that are outside of its bounds because it uses cell reuse in the same way that a table view does. So even if you've you need, you've you've sized your collection view such that the when paging is enabled it scrolls kind of one page width at a time, meaning your collection view is only the width of one page and you want to see previews of the pages either side, you can't just use that technique of saying don't clip your subviews. Because it doesn't render the cells outside. Right. It renders them as soon as you start dragging. Yeah. So as soon as you start a drag, they kind of appear where you'd want them to be. Right. But as soon as you stop dragging and it finishes scrolling on, and it lands on a single cell, because the collection view thinks that the cells either side aren't visible, uh, they're not there because it only creates cells on demand when it needs it. Yeah, to, to you know manage the memory. Yeah. So the... Horrible, horrible hack, which is named in my class expletive stupid scroll view that shouldn't have to I'm be looking here. forward to this. I wonder if that will make it past review. <laughs> oh, it's in my source code, right? <laughs> yeah, you're good. Um, it is, and I don't even know if the, there's a better way, is to um, put a scroll view in front of my collection view 
and use the techniques we described previously so that my scroll view could detect touches um, outside of its bounds, but so that it, its width was the, the width of a single page. And then to have a scroll view delegate method that intercepts scroll view did scroll and sets the offset of my collection view based on the distance that the scroll view scrolled. Yeah. So my collection view is actually wider than a single page so that everything displays. And you don't interact with the collection view at all. You interact with the scroll you view that's You wouldn't on set top. it as paged, would you? You would just leave it. It doesn't matter, yeah. It's just a collection view. It doesn't you like you you never the user is never interacting with it. The user yeah. is interacting with the scroll view which is on top. And the scroll view's delegate is setting the collection views offset based on the distance that the scroll view swiped. And it's just freaking horrible. That doesn't make any sense at all. It's not that bad. I've done worse. And so your <laughs> and so your uh, solution to this would be to set like a width and a height on for right. The, for so the if, if scroll view page view yeah, area so size or something. Yeah. If, if there was just a page size property, that, and so the logic when you set paging enabled, basically there's some logic that's obviously running when you do a swipe instead of allowing sort of physics to allow that to scroll until the friction has caused it to stop. Mm-hmm. It only allows it to scroll until it's travelled a set distance. And at the moment, that set distance is always the width or the, or the height, depending on the direction you're scrolling in, mm-hmm. of the view itself, whereas it should be a property that's configurable separately and that if it's not set, it could default to the size of the view itself. But if it is set, then it should just stop the scroll after it's travelled the distance you've specified. Shouldn't then be a, a rect as opposed to a size property? No, because it's about how dis- how far it scrolls, right? So yeah, but wouldn't you want to have wouldn't you want to have it so that your page area is within within the bounds by a certain amount? If you want to have areas on both sides showing the next and previous pages, you just need to start offset. Yeah, just the it's the so it starts the page scrolling from whatever its current offset is, and on swipe it should move the offset. By an you just amount. want to set the initial offset. Yeah, but but wouldn't the wouldn't once you, if if you did that, wouldn't you once once you did that, if the cells were off the left hand side of the screen of the view, they would disappear because they're outside of the. No, would they? I'm thinking they would. I think I get what you're saying. I think you just it's just the initial padding. Yeah. Say you're on your first cell, the padding on the left. You just need to Wh- set which that. is actually a property of collection view. There yeah, is a, yeah, there's a value. You can set the padding around the outside of the content. Inset, I think it's called section inset. Yeah. So if you set a section inset, you can say that the first cell is actually positioned, kind of, whatever, twenty, thirty pixels in from the, the edge. Points. 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 Of course. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> when, when you swipe, you just want to say, you know, one swipe should mean that you go, yeah. x points before you stop. Right. Okay. And so, I just want to so be able to all configure it, the X. All, as all, it, to- all it would do is, yeah, if uh, the padding wouldn't be visible anymore. Okay, I can see what. Yep. No, so that makes sense. I'm so incensed about this that I've logged a radar and um, and done a page DTS support request to say, wow, what's the workaround? I got a response from my page support request and said, yeah, the workaround workaround you've done sounds reasonable. You know what you should do? And I'm like, it's not reasonable. It's a hack. It's horrible. Why should I have to do this hack? But anyway. Apparently, there's no better workaround. Um, so just um, just make it its own class, Jake's Paging Collection View, and then it'll be perfectly black boxed, and you can just drop it on. You solved your own problem. Never that's look what, at it that's again. probably what I would do. And just so I, 
I don't feel the dirtiness. No, because you'll never there. see it. So there are also, box. as well as it being a hack, there are some side effects. I I think that the collection view is not actually scrolling as smoothly as it would if you were interacting directly with it. I think that. The, oh. Yeah, I'd had thought that that might be the case because it doesn't always like it doesn't update every time the for every refresh of the screen. Yeah, it just it just feels. I don't know if I'm being seeing something that's not there, but when I'm using it, it doesn't feel as as fluid. It feels slight, just ever so slightly jittery. Um, yeah. So, anyway, I don't even know how I got onto this hackiness in code. Oh, yeah. There's some in mine at the moment because I can't find a way around it. Don't, I, I think that there's plenty of hackiness in everybody's code. I know my code is plenty hacky at times. I always put them in and plan to take them out, and that's why I have levels of comment to know which ones I have to take out and which ones might slip through every now and then. But yeah, these days, these days I do do exactly what Ben said and and just wrap them up in their own classes. I have or in uh, categories when it comes to Objective C. Yeah, it's nice to have it in modularized in a way that you can swap it out with a better implement. So your hack is contained to one part of your code. Rather yeah. Than so one, like as an example, one thing that I've done uh, that I did specifically, I did it for progressions, but I plan to use it elsewhere. I have a category that I've written for UI view controller that gives me some convenience methods for doing, doing various uh, modal views. So, I, I mean, I know that doing modal views is pretty, it's pretty easy really, but I can do with this. I've I've set it up so that I can do modal views that are not your standard type of modal views. So one of the one of the uh, views that I've got in progressions, uh, I borrowed from Pages, which is this. There's a screen that comes up, but it doesn't go all the way to the top. It stops maybe two thirds of the way up. I think I stole it from you for an app I'm working on at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it stops so that I can see the content underneath, so I can change like font size, and you can see the the yeah. uh, the stuff yeah, happening. You show that to me; it's really nice. I've stolen. It. I've I've got a class that you can use. Oh well, I'm I'm using Container View Control. Oh, we well, you, you use storyboards. This is this is the thing. I I don't use storyboards. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say what you're saying screams custom segue. So custom segue. I think I don't you think end you can up, do a two third window. No, though, you can can't you? start yeah. on prior to iOS redacted. I <laughs> think that you can only do like a full. Yeah. The end point of your segue must be a completely new view that doesn't involve the old view at all. Yeah, I think we've discussed that before. But container view controllers you can do it with, where you can have a a view controller, uh, a container view that you slide in and out, and embedded within that container view is a view belonging to a different view controller. Yep. Um, Yeah. And it's, it works really well. I liked, I liked your implementation. I like that idea that Ah. in certain apps you want to, continue to see some stuff on the screen whilst you, you're configuring things so yeah. that you can see the results of the actions you're taking rather than having to go off to a settings screen, come back and see the result. So, my, 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 my container view, view container, view controller, I'll get the word right eventually. My UI view controller category um, allows me to do stuff like that but also do things like little like modal windows that are kind of inset inset all around the side of the screen stuff like that but uh yeah I was I was actually planning on somehow releasing that that code that allows me to do that because it's kind of handy but it's at the moment it's just stuck in progressions and I haven't I haven't kind of pulled it out yet like I did with with keyboard which I need to update yeah. Keyboard needs updating for iOS 7. If anybody wants to help out with that, I'd be very glad for it. I'm I'm too busy. I'm way too busy. It's oh. nice to be busy, isn't it? It is. And 
until I don't have any time to work on anything. <laughs> yeah. Or sleep. Yeah. yeah. That's that's <laughs> sleep's overrated. What, what's sleep? I don't know what this sleep business is. Yeah. We I, should probably Yeah, speaking finish of up. which, speaking of time. Yeah, it's probably about time that we uh we finish up. So I don't know, I thought was I thought today was good. Thanks for sticking with us. If you if you joined after listening to last episode's awesome appearance from Casey Liss and then have hung around till now, uh, thank you for hanging around and sorry we're not Casey. <laughs> we, we, we can try, but we will always fail. Um, so we're not even going to bother trying. We're just going to continue doing our thing and hope that you guys enjoy it. Uh, if you do, that would be great to, to hear about. Even if you don't, it would be great to hear about as well. So if you do enjoy it, you can uh, you can tell us by... Submitting an iTunes review, because that's the way to do things. Um, you jump onto the iTunes store, find Mobile Couch. We have, an act- we have an actual link that is really handy for that. You can go to mobilecouch.co forward slash iTunes, and that'll take you to the page. And then all you have to do is write a review. We've got to stop being so, you know, obvious about soliciting reviews or someone's going to give us a really terrible one just to, just to show us. But the, if you don't, but if you, the, here's the thing, if you don't, if you think there's a problem with, with the show and you want, you think that, you know, there's, there's, we've said something wrong or you don't agree with us or you think that we should never talk about our personal history again, then you should tell us that as well. But what you should do is you should send us an email and you can do that on the website, mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. And that way we can actually respond to you. And it's awesome. Uh, if you would like to read anything, I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of stuff to, to add to the show notes this week, but the show notes do go up on the website, mobilecouch.co forward slash 16 and uh, sweet 16. Woo. Yeah. Let's party. If you would like to, uh, if you would like to get in touch with us individually, you can find us on Twitter and app.net. Jake is J McMullen, J M A C M U L L I N. Ben is at Ben Trengrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And I am at Jelly Bean Soup on Twitter and Jelly on App.net. Thanks, guys, for listening. It has been, once again, amazing. It always is. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Until then, bye. Bye. See ya.